Made it in Japan。リスナーの皆さん、お帰りなさい。大学での講演のために昨日の夜から東京に来ているエリオット・コンティです。今、シネ川駅の近くの宿で録音しています。せっかく東京に来ているので、えー、一個だけ面白いトリビアを差し上げましょう。あの飲食店の質を評価するミシュランガイドって皆さんご存知ですよねあの一つ星が、まあ、めちゃくちゃ美味しい、えー、とっても生きがいのある店で二つ星がさらにその上で最高ランキングが、えー、三つ星こういう、えー、評価基準を持って世界中の最も素晴らしい料理を評価しているそれがミシュランガイドですねでこのミシュランガイドの2019番の中で世界で星付きの店が一番多い都市は東京ですそうパリではなく東京ですねまああのこれ理解できる人々は多分ほとんど日本人だと思うので東京であることはすでにご存知かもしれませんがはい。えー、っと、まあ、これをちょっと詳しく見ていきましょう。この星月の、東京の星月の飲食店は230件もあるんです。230件。で全世界では確か、えー、2800件ぐらいあるんですけれども、230件、えー、要するに11分の1が東京にあるわけです。すごくない世界で2番目に多い都市、パリですね、えー。パリはたった118件ですね。東京の圧勝じゃないですか。230件ですよ。はい。で、そのうち最高評価を、三つ星をもらった店が13件。二つ星が52件。そして一つ星が残りの165件になります。これを聞くとですね、食においては、ジャパンアズナンバーワンは否めないんですね。まだ。はい。まあ、えー、今年ですね、まあ、これから会食とかバーとかでですね、えー、雑談をしないといけないときは、ぜひぜひ、このネタを使ってください。強化をします。では、えー、このエピソードなんですけれども、えー、今回は前回の続き、えー、アルフレッド・ワインゼル、えー、パート2になります。で、パート1を、えー、公開する前にですね、どのような反響が返ってくるのかを、半分楽しみで半分緊張しながら待ってたけれども、えー、期待の通り、えー、再生数が比較的に多くて、結構面白いコメントもたくさんいただいたので、まあ、やっぱりアルフレッドさんの前越的なスタイルのどこかにはやっぱりすごく通じるところがあるんですね。まあ、今回のポーキャストも久しぶりにそれにまあ気づかせてくれました。ということで早速と言いながらも続きですのでまだパート1を聞いてない方は先にパート1を聞いてくださいね。あのコンテクスト抜きでこのパート1パート2をいきなり聞き出すと多分かなり分かりにくい、えー、と思うので必ずパート1から
。で、前回では、えー、ミューヘン生まれ育ちのアルフレッドさんがどのように大阪の南で、えっ、ー、と、まあ、法律相談、えー、をベースとして活動しているボランティア団体のリーダーに、えー、なるに至ったのか、っていう、まあ、本人の経歴を中心に話をいただきました。今回は、その活動の中で、本人にとって特に印象的なエピソード、えー、について話してますで。どれも極端なケースではありますが、えー、とこのストーリータイムの中で、まあ、不利益を込むた外国人がアルフレッドさんの指導のもとでいかに対処していったのか、えー、をとても面白く聞いていただけるし参考になるヒントもたっぷり、えー、含まれていると思いますそして最後にアルフレッドさんに言われたように本人の電話番号もディスクリプション、えー、に載せましたのであの困難を抱えてしまっている外国人の皆さんもし、えーまあ、知っているのであればアルフレッドさんの方に1本入れてみてください前回と同じく、えー、今回も全て英語になりますリスナーの皆さん、えー、ストーリータイムをどうぞお楽しみください毎度聞いてくださりありがとうございますでは次回まで Welcome back to Made It in Japan, everybody. Host Elliot Conti here. I'm in Tokyo right now.、Uh, I stayed the night here after giving a talk for a university last night.、Uh, speaking of Tokyo, I thought we'd start off today's podcast with a little trivia.、Uh, I'm sure listeners are familiar with the Michelin Guide, right?、Uh, if you're not, the Michelin Guide certifies the highest quality restaurants around the world. And it does so using a star system, with three stars being absolutely world class, two stars, and one star.、Uh, one star, of course, still being extremely high quality.、Um, if you are listed in the Michelin Guide, it is a tremendous honor for all chefs and、uh, restauranteurs alike.、Uh, Americans might be familiar with the, the Michelin Guide through the Documentary Jiro Dreams of Sushi, which came out, geez, I don't know, maybe、uh, seven years ago or so now.、Um, anyway, this details the first sushi restaurant、uh, to receive the three star Michelin ranking. And it's a fascinating documentary that actually focuses on the life and the practice of this, this sushi craftsman. And how he developed his craft over time. It's a beautiful documentary、uh, set to wonderful classical music. I absolutely recommend it. You can find it on YouTube. I think they have the, the entire thing up there. But either way, that's not the point.、Uh, so, the Michelin Guide, right? Back to my original point. As for today's trivia,、uh, in the 2019 Michelin Guide,、uh, approximately 2,800 or so restaurants throughout the world received at least one Michelin star. The city that boasts the most starred restaurants in the world is not Paris, but Tokyo. Tokyo, with 230 starred restaurants in total, is far and away number one. Second on the list is Paris, which, pairs, which pales in comparison with only 118 restaurants. And of Tokyo's 230 starred restaurants, 
13 received the highest ranking of three stars. By the way, Paris only has 10 three-star restaurants. Uh, and the remainder breaks down as 52 two-star and 165 one-star restaurants, all in Tokyo. Incredible. Uh, I tell all of my American friends and family alike that when it comes to food, you simply can't beat Japan. And this is certainly a demonstration of the seriousness and quality and passion with which the Japanese dining, uh, the Japanese pursue uh, dining well. Anyway, there's today's Snapple fact for you. Uh, feel, feel free to break that out at your next dinner party. You have my permission. So, moving into today's podcast, this episode is a continuation of the previous episode uh, with guest Alfred Weinzierl, uh, the leader of Renegade, a volunteer organization that provides legal consultation for foreigners in Osaka. As this is a continuation, if you haven't listened to part one yet, please go back and start there. Uh, it will be difficult to pick up the conversation without the proper context. So, last time, we mainly discussed Alfred's background dealing with how he came about starting Renegade and his experiences living in Japan on an expired visa. And we finished up with the story of his arrest. This episode is a little more like story time. Uh, Alfred runs through a few of the more memorable and outlandish cases he has seen in his 20 plus years of doing legal consultation. There are plenty of laughs, but the tone takes on a more serious note at the end, actually, uh, as he discusses the, the lack of cohesion uh, that exists in the foreign community in Japan, and why it is that he feels compelled to continue doing what he does, despite the fact that it, at times it is not the most financially viable. At Alfred's request, I've listed his phone number in the episode description, so if you or anyone you know needs legal advice, in Japan, of course, feel free to give him a call. Uh, there is nobody I would recommend above him. As always, thank you for listening. I appreciated all the comments I received last time, and I look forward to hearing more from listeners in the future. Until next time, in peace. Last time we discussed mainly how you got into uh, providing legal consultation yeah. for foreigners and yeah. how you spent over half of your your life in Japan overstaying and how you ended up getting out of that <laughs> and now have a permanent residence. Hallelujah. Yeah. So let's go over uh, some of some of the better the better stories that you've got. What are what have been some of the crazier yeah. things that you've seen in your twenty plus years of doing legal advice in Japan? Himeji postal robbery. When was that? Postal that robbery. was yeah. Uh, it was in two thousand and one. Okay. So I'm lying at home. Yeah. With my lady in bed, two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I get a phone call. And I go like, I did it. And I'm like, congratulations, <laughs> what did you do? Yeah, yeah. And I hadn't watched the news that night, you know. Mm. So there was a robbery in Himeji. Two people robbed a post office. Okay. And uh, they got 22 million yen, about 220,000 US dollars. Right, right. And uh, that happened in Himeji. So this guy called me and uh, 
He said, I did I, it. Yes, yeah. I did it. And then, so I, I went to Himeji. Right. To meet him. And uh, he was there with his Japanese girlfriend. He's a foreigner? From Nigeria, from yes. From Nigeria, okay. And uh, I help a lot of Nigerians too, you know. I mean, mm. I don't give a shit whether you're black or green or white. The soul has no color, you know. Mm. And mm. the soul has no sex. So I don't give a shit if you're a gay uh, man <laughs> from Mars, you know. I, don't, I couldn't <laughs> care less, you know. Right. So I just went there and... Uh, so what he told me was that uh, he had a friend mm. from Nigeria, mm. um, one of the leaders of the Nigerian community, who helps other Nigerians that arrive in Japan. Okay. And the police had arrested that person. Oh, really? Yes. Because, uh, you know... All Nigerians look the same, you know, they're all black and, you know. Right, right. So he told me that and then he said, I did it with another guy. So this is a confession, yeah? Yes. Yeah. And uh, so what I did, mm. I told him about the law, like if his name isn't known mm. and he gives himself up to the police, he gets a better deal. Sure. So I gave him as in, and his girlfriend 30 minutes, which turned into an hour mm. because, you know, I guess if you were looking at several years in prison, yeah. you would like to, you yeah. know, make love to your, <laughs> you know, so I was just uh, waiting there. Then he came, we went to the police station yeah. and he gave himself up. Wow. But the other guy who didn't do it. The guy who was wrongfully yes, arrested. Yes, okay. wrongfully arrested. Yeah. He denied mm. that he did it. Mm. And of course, uh, some other Nigerians told me about him too. So I went to see him with a lawyer. Mm. And he was, of course, persona non grata because he said that, you know, he denied mm. any wrongful acts mm. so they didn't let him see his wife only the lawyer and me right and the funny thing is now i can say so because uh he's free mm. his name is justice his name is justice, justice. <laughs> yeah segi and uh, so <sighs> that's ironic the guy who did it yeah got five years was out in three mm. Following your advice, yeah? Yes. Giving himself. Yes. Yeah. And the other innocent person. Justice. Because he denied mm. any wrongdoing, got eight years. Wow. And so I was like, okay, the police and the prosecutors say that this guy mm. did it and there is no other person. So... The uh, guy who really did it right. is free, running around in Minami or somewhere. Right, right. So I started looking for him mm. and I found him. <laughs> but he did a runner. Mm. But there were some other Nigerian people that I talked to and they go like, yeah, he told us he did it. Right. And I go like, okay, now all you need to do is 
come to the police with me mm. and your compatriot justice will be your free man. Compatriot justice being yeah. the man who yeah. is wrongfully yes. arrested. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that's why, you know, that the reason why I'm sometimes, well, against this overstaying bullshit is they were overstaying, both of them. Uh-huh. Those Nigerian witnesses, they were overstaying. Okay. And in Japan, if you go to the police and tell them that, you know, you make a statement, mm. they will still arrest you. For overstaying. For overstaying. Right, right. And they didn't want to get arrested. Sure. So they didn't make the statement. Sure. So a guy is in prison for eight years. Wow. Then when he got out, immigration wanted to deport him. Okay. Although his wife had stayed true to him. Wow. They wanted to deport him. And so with the Osaka Bar Association, we were fighting the deportation order. He had also gotten several health problems in, uh, mm. in prison. His shoulder was kind of, uh, you know, he injured his so- shoulder. Okay. And uh, medical care and medical facilities in prison are not really up to par. Okay. So we found out later mm. that the police had uh, withheld evidence. The prosecutor had withheld evidence. There was a security video mm. when, uh, for reasons I don't know, a guy took off his ski mask. During the burglary? During the robbery, mm. yes. And <laughs> the 30 seconds of that exchange, yeah. Yeah, exchange was yeah. erased. So uh, we sent the video to a uh, university professor in the United States and he said that the video had been tampered with. Also, the ski mask, you know when you wear a ski mask, yeah. especially in summer, you sweat. Okay. There will be some DNA left. Right. And the prosecutor withheld the fact that the DNA didn't match Justin's uh-huh. DNA, Justice's DNA. So there was a guy in prison for eight years, completely innocent. Immigration tried to fuck with him. The prosecutor tried to fuck with him. Right. Now it's in court. He's suing the government for a million dollars and it looks like he's winning. Wow. <laughs> that's one thing. Another thing so is... This, wait, but that's, yeah. that's ongoing. Yeah, that's ongoing. That's ongoing, yeah. So he did eight years in prison. Is had to fight in deportation, yes. found out yes. that they doctored evidence. Yes. Now he's got a strong yes. case. Yes. And it, wow. Yes. yes. Do you see a lot of that doctoring evidence? Thing? Oh, yes. Yeah? Oh, yes. Mm. I also see a lot of, you know, like when you have a fight in a bar or somewhere mm. and uh, there is a foreign perpetrator, yeah. they come down on you like a ton of bricks. Really? There is a, a guy from Ireland that was in a fight mm. and he bit the guy's thumb off, the tip of the thumb. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. Yeah, but yeah, that is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. He and bit the guy's uh, thumb yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the guy was a rugby player, right? Yeah. And uh, he <laughs> called me and I said, 
Okay. Do you still have what, that down? What, uh, yeah, they sued it back on, I guess. <laughs> but uh, who has to pay for it? Of course, the Irish guy, you know. Uh, and uh, he wanted to stay in Japan. Yeah. And so I said, okay, if you do a runner, you can do a runner. But if you stay in Japan, you have to pay the guy some money and you are at his mercy. Mm. If he wants two million yen from you, then you have to shut up and pay it. Because then, according to Japanese law, if you withdraw your complaint, mm. then the police will stop investigating. So what a lot of people do and what I advise foreigners that listen to this to do once they are in a fight, mm. you don't touch the other guy. You fall down, you call an ambulance, you say it's a fight, the police will come. And then, uh, if they arrest the other guy, uh, he will have to pay you some money if he doesn't want to go to prison. Right. So that's what happened in that case. That Irish guy, well, in the end, he had to pay the other guy a million yen. Yeah. That's ten thousand dollars. Right. But the guy wrote a letter to the police yeah. and to his place of employment yeah. that they shouldn't fire him, they shouldn't prosecute him. He is still in Japan. He is a million yen poorer. But then, you know, I mean, <laughs> biting somebody's thumb off, what can I do? You know. I still so, can't get over yeah, that. So incredible. things like that happen too. And yeah, uh, yeah seriously, um, mm. out of court settlements, there are a lot of them. But if a foreigner is the perpetrator, yeah. the police will tell you, you lose, you lose your visa, this and that. But in some cases, yeah. if there's a Japanese perpetrator, right. they give him a break. In my experience, yeah. you know, I don't like to say that Japanese people are racist or whatever, or mm. that they don't like foreigners. Mm. But you know, it is what it is. Okay. And in especially, yeah. especially authorities, they mm. they go like, oh, foreigner fight. Okay, he must be responsible. Right. And so sometimes they just uh, they don't even prosecute the japanese guy you know they mm. just interview him and then they go like okay i'll do an out of court settlement we don't care you know right right so, do you do yeah. you encourage your your clients to settle out of court do you feel like things uh, are maybe stacked against them if they do go to trial or do you feel can can they get a fair trial with no problem? Or do you feel like, is it often to their advantage to maybe leave that aside? Well, so. um, first of all, I tell them about the law right. and then they make a choice because right. I cannot make a choice for them. Sure. I give them the ability to make an educated choice. Right. Right. And whatever their choice is, you know, there are some foreigners, they go like, no, I don't want to go through that trouble, mm. you know, uh, whatever. Then I go like, fine, you know, I mean, they are my boss. Right. You understand? Right. So I do what they want to do, but uh, I tell them all the ins and outs. Right. And uh, normally, if it's a fight and you get injured, and the police get involved. I mean, I got foreigners like uh, I got one guy a million and a half, another guy 500,000 yen out of court settlement, you know. Right, right. So you get hit by a car or mm. you're in a taxi or you're on a bicycle, somebody hits you or in a fight and you're absolutely innocent. Right. 
then an out-of-court settlement is sometimes a good thing because if this case goes to court, then you have to go to court. You gotta pay legal yeah, fees. You yeah, you gotta, you know, mm. and uh, the reason why you get paid money mm. is so that the Japanese or other foreign perpetrator doesn't go to court and doesn't go to prison. Mm. So they're paying you money for not sending them to prison. Right. So an out-of-court settlement is in some cases a very good thing. Right. Because, you know, I mean, of course you want as much money as possible. The Japanese do it, I advise foreigners to do it too, as long as the opponent has money, you know. Mm. You don't want uh, an old grandmother in a wheelchair to pay you a, a 10 zillion yen because, you know, she, she, she drove over your, your toe, you know. <laughs> yeah. You don't do shit like that. But normally, uh, you know, after you get beaten up by somebody and there are witnesses and the, the, the ambulance and the cops come, you go to the hospital and the magic word is Shindan Shou. A mm. doctor's report. Mm. You get a Shindan show. Uh, this report says, uh, you know, what your injuries are like sure. and uh, pro how 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 long you're not gonna be able to work. Right. So mm. you're out two weeks of work. You're not really hurting at all. <laughs> uh, everybody does it. So yeah. You know, you get a nice little bundle of money. Mm. And the Japanese guy doesn't go to prison or the other foreigner if you fight with a foreigner it works for, right. for everybody right. so you get a nice little bundle of money and uh, things are cool right but sometimes there are perpetrators that are like yeah you fucking foreigner this or that and then the foreigner goes like no I don't want any money I want the guy to go to prison then of course you should pursue that right, right. but it depends on the foreigner usually I just tell them this is what you can do and this is what it will probably be like yeah. and then they make the choice yeah so i'm just helping them to uh you know i give them the information that is necessary yeah and then they they make a choice an educated decision yeah now it's uh interesting having this conversation with you now because carlos gone the former yeah. Yeah, yeah the former chairman of yeah. nissan yeah. right uh, is currently in, yeah. in court, an ongoing yeah. investigation, yeah. Um, sort of embezzling funds and some tricky, yes. some tricky accounting yes. there. Yes. Um, and that it remains to be seen how that's going to uh, play out. But they talk uh, about the extremely high conviction rate the Japanese police. Yes, because mm. they they usually you know they have. 23 days they can hold you in prison uh, in detention in so detention. Okay. let's say you get arrested okay it's three days they can hold you mm. and then uh, they can get another 10 days and another 10 days they go to see a judge and he will uh, you know give them another 10 days and another 10 days. So they can hold you for 23 days in police detention. Mm. And after 23 days, the prosecutor has to decide whether to prosecute you or not. Okay. However, uh, a lot of people have a problem with that because let's say you kill somebody or you rob somebody. Yeah. They won't arrest you for robbery. Mm. They arrest you for something else. So for example, if you 
rob okay, some okay. if you rob a bank they probably arrest you for unlawful entering or this or that okay they keep you 23 days and then mm. they arrest you for the robbery they mm. keep you another 23 days mm. so in some big cases they kind of extend that period three four times okay. and you can stay in there for like months mm. without being released because you get rearrested all over again. Can you consult with a lawyer at that time? Of course, yes. Mm. And the magic words here are Toban Bengoshi o Yonde Kudasai. Toban Bengoshi o Yonde Kudasai. That means call an on duty lawyer. Mm. So everybody has the right uh, to consult a lawyer. A lot of foreigners don't know this, however, right. and that's why they are just in limbo land. Right. Uh, they are not allowed to meet their families. Uh, and yeah. the families, your families won't know where you are. Mm. So you'll really, just they have don't, they don't inform disappeared the off the earth. Wow. And uh, so you say, Tobambe Goshi o Yonde Kudasai. An on-duty lawyer will come to see you yeah. once for free. Mm. And then uh, you have to decide whether to hire the lawyer officially or not. Mm. But even if you don't hire the lawyer, the lawyer that comes will be able to contact your family. They mm -hmm. will know what's going on. Mm. So absolutely. Toba Mingo Shuyon de Kudasai. Right, right. Next day you'll have a lawyer there mm. that probably speaks English mm. and you will be able to talk to him about your situation. He will give you legal advice yeah. and uh, he will also be able to contact your family. And then your family will contact me. <laughs> and, and that's then, when things really get yeah, started. And yeah. then we get, and we get you a real lawyer. That's when the yeah. rubber hits the road. Oh, sorry. Oh, what that reminds me of the Icelandic guy in the mad asylum. Oh, boy. What's that? Is this well, a, another case? Yeah. yeah, that's because now I just, I just remember it because you said, uh, on duty, I said on duty lawyer. So what happened is a friend of mine calls me and he goes like, mom is here. Mom. Mom. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So... A lady from Iceland okay. had come to Japan yeah. because she hadn't been able to contact her son for five days. Mm. And so I got introduced to her and uh, I was just walking around a little bit. Where did everybody see him the last time? Mm. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, I found out that he could be held at two police stations only. Okay. Because the, uh, what he did, you know, I mean, every area in Osaka has a police station that's responsible for it, the Minami police, etc., etc. Right. So I went to uh, the police station with her and uh, we said, uh, well, the son's name and do you know what's going on? Right. And they cannot really tell you. They probably will not tell you if you just mosey up and ask them what's going on. Right. But because the mom was there, yeah. they said, okay, we tell you the truth, Alfred. Mm. He's in a lunatic asylum. An insane asylum. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, what? 
<laughs> so what he did, yeah. he was on speed. Okay. He was in a love hotel with a girl. <laughs> And then, uh, because he was on speed, he wore one of their, you know, yukata, kimono things. Yeah. And walked out of the hotel in the hotel's slippers. <laughs> so that con uh, constitutes theft, right? Yeah, he's, he's then the cops came, and because he was on speed, he was fucking crazy. Right, right. And right. so they sent him to an insane, insane asylum in Nara. In Nara, okay. Yeah. Uh, and I went there uh, every day with his mom and I had a good time, man. It was awesome. It was a great place. Yeah. The insane asylum in Nara is beautiful. <laughs> it's not like one floor with a cuckoo's nest, you know. It's right. like uh, normal rooms. People are al uh, allowed to walk around. Yeah. Uh, you, some people are even allowed to leave. Mm. But so he wasn't. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't because... Uh, he had been on speed, right? And he really—I don't know exactly what he did—but he went completely apeshit. Mm. So yeah, I went there and we talked to him, and then I introduced him to Hideki, you know, our lawyer friend. Oh yeah. And uh, normally, you know, you have to stay in that asylum for three months, then you will get sent to the police, and then uh, they will investigate for twenty-three days. Then they send you to the detention center. A month or two later is the court case. And then there is another court case. So we are looking at around six months. Right. Hideki and I succeeded in getting him out of the mad asylum. The police finished the investigation in 23 days. Instead of two court cases, there was one. After a month and a half, he's back in Iceland. But he's back in Iceland. Yeah. Yeah. He got deported because, of course, he committed a crime. Well, you know? yeah, he was on drugs. Yeah, yeah. sure, I understand that. But at the ma yeah. at, at the insane asylum, I had a good time. I had my chicken head and my puppets, and I was talking <laughs> to the people there. They didn't try and to put you in when they. Yeah, they <laughs> probably tried, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. You thought was, you were just good. going to visit. And then yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this one, uh, the the insane asylum, the uh, postal robbery. And another case that was on national TV, oh, what's that? artificial insemination. Oh boy. So <laughs> a foreigner, a foreigner had, because I think his wife has some problems, he needed some, she needed uh, artificial insemination to have a child. Okay. Mm. And they had a child six years ago. Mm. But at that time. This is through yes, artificial insemination. Yes. Okay. But then, after three years, they got divorced. Okay. But the hospital still had the guy's sperm. Mm. And the doctor and the ex-wife, without the knowledge of this foreigner, mm. used his sperm <laughs> to impregnate her. Again? A second Again, time. Mm. yes. But they were divorced. They didn't have his consent. They just did it. And he was like, of course, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. You know, suddenly he's father of a little girl. <laughs> he found out after she was yes. born? Oh my God. And uh, of course, we introduced a lawyer. This happened four and a half years ago. It took four and a half years in court. Yeah. yeah. Because no case like that and existed in Japan. Family law 
comes from the Meiji period. Right. So there is no artificial insemination mentioned in it. So <laughs> it is yeah. really there is no precedent in yeah, this. One. Yeah, there is really really difficult. It took four and a half years. Yeah. But in the end, the doctor had to pay him a couple of million yen. Really? Yeah. And uh, he won the court case. But of course, four and a half years of your life. Yeah, sure. You know, going to court all the time. And they treated him a little bit, you know, like, oh, you fought in troublemaker. You shouldn't, uh, right, you right, know. Right, right, right. Disturbing the peace here. Yeah. Disturbing yeah, our pristine. Yeah. But he persevered and he hung in there. And He's probably he won. paying out a couple million in legal fees, no? Over that time? Yes. Or did, did she, yeah. did she, was she first? Uh, well, uh, he was with Hideki, so. Oh, okay. The legal fees were kept down helped to a minimum. Helped him out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but even more so than that, there's a daughter involved here. Yes. Now, he doesn't have custody or is is not in contact. No. With anyone. Yeah. Wow, that's rough. So, what what's the moral of these stories? I mean, these are some of the more obviously uh, spectacular, right? Mm -hmm. uh, stories that you've that you've uh, consulted on, yes. but what's what is the moral? What are what are some of the takeaways that we have here about foreigners in Japan and their relationship with Japanese law? The thing is that uh, a lot of foreigners they are like, let's call a spade a spade. Mm. Different types of foreigners: Southeast Asians, Nigerians, right? University graduates from the states that teach English here, right? And they all have a different outlook mm. on how to deal with certain legal situations. Right. And that's one reason why authorities here can do what they do because we are not unified. Mm. The foreign population. Yes. And the Japanese too, you know. I mean, we must unify with our Japanese brothers and sisters. Mm with our foreign brothers and sisters, but sometimes, especially when it comes to North American English teachers, mm. they don't give a shit. Mm. They are here for a year or two. Right. And seriously, we all know, mm. you go to Minami, you're like a pig in shit. Japanese girls dig you, <laughs> you fuck around, you get drunk every fucking weekend, you have a problem, you go like, yeah, whatever. And uh, so we need to educate the foreign community. Mm. We need to tell them that we, when we, if we unify, they will look at us differently because, you know, even if, if, if you as a normal foreigner show up, show up at the police station not being able to speak very good Japanese, mm. they will not treat you the right way. Mm. But if you go with somebody like me, or with a lawyer, that's the first step. Mm. They go like, okay, now we have to do our job. Mm. And if more foreigners got together, saying like, yeah, guys, do your job, you mm. know, we are part of this society, right. then things would change much quicker. Right. But, uh, so basically, uh, nobody really cares unless it happens to them. Nice. 
And of course we have the Foreign Labor Union, they are doing a really stellar job. But seriously, mm. we need more involvement of the foreign community in Japanese society. Mm. You know, yeah, I certainly, I a certainly lot of see people that. say they are guests here. No, we live here. Right, right. We are part of this society. Uh, there need to be there needs to be an entire organization of, of Alfreds, right? Uh, rather than just oh boy. you and your, your network of lawyers and, and people you know. There needs to be many other people like you operating in various capacities, right? Um, but I'm not sure there's anyone else who can do what you do. To be quite <laughs> honest, I don't know anybody. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean... To tell you the truth, I really have a hard time sometimes, especially money-wise, mm. because uh, it's a non-profit. Yeah, yeah, it's non-profit, and uh, I sometimes have a hard time making a living. And I'm also, you know, I need medication every day. That costs a lot of money. Sure. I need to travel, and uh, so why do you donations do you would be very helpful? Hey, outside! Hey, listen! Oh. Donations! Donations! <laughs> You can plug it up as much as you want. Why do you why yeah. do you continue doing this rather than trying to get, you know, a steady job? Because everything that's not given is lost. Mm. And you know, it's like when I see people like at the detention center and they they're innocent in prison. Yeah. And I see their family waiting outside yeah and I see the joy in their faces when you know sometimes I just stand in a corner so they cannot see me because I don't want to be there when when they meet you know I don't want to be in the way right it's a family thing you know right so I just stand in the corner and sometimes I cry and I'm happy yeah and really you know I mean I have a certain ability, not a great one, but mm. you know, a lot of people call me and I. people ask me why do you do it and the best answer I can give you is because I can. Right. And that's it. If you don't, then no one else will, especially not in the way that you do it. Uh, I love that you do what you do. Like I said, I've known you for five years and I'm one of your biggest fans. But you just, there's also no need for you to martyr yourself, you know? I feel like you can do this and with it being a little more, uh, a little more stable. Because there's definitely going to be a need. As we talked about, the number of foreigners in Japan, it's going to increase. And there's yes. going to be, there's definitely going to be a need. There are yes. going to be more foreigners who need to get. Yeah, in. I have this dream, you know, that mm. maybe one of these days I run into a rich guy and he goes like, yeah, I have a small office for you. <laughs> that would be, you know, that would be incredible because now I use, you know, my friend's bars as offices, you know. Right, right. But, yeah. You know, but I don't think I'm muttering myself. I'm just... I don't know, but... It's just I have to do this. You were meant to do it. I have to. There's mm. no other way around, you know. 
when you see a person that is sometimes they're ecstatic you know nobody gives a shit about them only their, their families you know and their friends try to help but nobody knows where to go and then you get them out of a detention center or you get them out of trouble right. and then and then they meet their family and oh boy it's 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 wonderful it's other than having an orgasm with the woman you're in love with, <laughs> I think it's the best feeling a human being can have. I think that's an appropriate way uh, to make your, your closing remarks. It's, a very, it's very like you, Alfred. Um, no, True. I agree. And until, until you meet that man who provides you with the office on the corner, yeah. keep doing the renegade thing because there are many people who need help and uh, in many ways you're the only one who can help them. Thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I uh, will do everything that I can to continue to support you. This podcast has a very small audience, but just getting the word out a little bit at a time is, I think, important. And the more people who know your number, the more people who have the potential to be Yeah, helped, so. my number, if you have any problems whatsoever, you can call me 24-7. I don't call myself, so I don't really know my number. So <laughs> I think Elliot can put it up later. Yeah, yeah, uh, I can. I can take care of that for you. So thanks for doing this. I appreciate it, man. No problem. And uh, you're welcome to come back on the podcast anytime because in 20 plus years of legal uh, legal experience or experience in legal advising, I'm sure you still have a wealth of stories that. Uh, yeah, I do actually. Yeah. Yes. That uh, haven't surfaced yet. Yes. So. The okay. condom. Next time, let's talk about the condom. Oh, jeez. Okay. That's a, that's a teaser for the next one. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, uh, as always, for listening, and we'll see you next time.